0: You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production.
1: This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone a willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to cloneawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bumpin' Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com, that's www.getbumpin.com, and you can pre-order your very own Bumpin' Joystick right now. or You can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends.
2: Hey, Andrew. How are you?
1: Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super really down.
2: Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear
1: that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy. But I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right?
2: Yeah, I hear you have, like,
1: a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know?
2: Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process, and I think that's really hard because honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it.
1: You get it. You're my best friend. You get it. What do you think I should do?
2: I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this. If anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability-informed support for $40 per session.
1: Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over 100 bucks. But we can still talk about disability stuff, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. It's the best. Yes.
1: And I I know you also do, you also offer support for non disabled people too, right?
2: Yeah, I do support for able bodied and non disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change, where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support.
1: I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well,
2: right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me
1: awesome well i i can't i can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing i'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you So much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen.
2: Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon.
1: Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised.
2: This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza.
1: Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, I'm your host, the delectable Andrew Grizzle. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, shall we? I just want to give a big shout out to th- and thanking all of you for supporting the show, for listening to the show, for being a guest in the show, being patient with me as I put the show together. As I'm recording this right now, there is no team behind me. There's me, myself, and I doing it. So I really, really just wanted to say thank you for listening to my show and for loving it and for wanting to come on and for rescheduling with me all these times when I can't record. Many of you have done that over and over again. So I just wanted to say thank you for understanding that I am doing my best to put out content for you every week and thank you for sticking with me it means a lot I just want I didn't want that to go unnoticed that I don't I don't want you to think that I'm that I don't take it seriously what I do and I really appreciate all of you for just being here for this show and I'm really excited to see the directions that it'll go in and all that stuff so thanks One of the directions that I want to take the show, and I haven't considered this at all, I haven't done anything with this yet, but one of the things that I've been dealing with over the last five years that I don't think we talk about enough in the disability community is incontinence and body stuff and bowel stuff and bathroom stuff related to disability. I've talked about it briefly on the show to some guests, but I wanted to do an in-depth series talking to people about the emotionality of having a gastrointestinal issue and what that's like for you if you live with a gastrointestinal issue because I think GI issues are disabilities that we don't talk about enough and I really want to do some in-depth discussions and just some real honest discussions with people living with GI stuff. So I want to call this series "The Shit Is Real because because GI stuff is really real. And I want to just have a real honest and true discussion with people living with GI stuff and medical professionals who deal with GI stuff too. So if you're, if you're a GI doc and you're listening, I want to talk to you. I have no idea when I'm going to produce this, but when I put it online the other day, somebody was like, you should release it on turds day, and I laughed my head off. So when I do get this up and running... I will release it on Thursdays. But if you want to come on the show and talk about specifically your gastro issues with me, because I go through so much stuff with my gastrointestinal stuff, being a disabled person, having accidents, feeling shame around that. I go through so many different feelings around this that I just want to have a conversation. So, probably like a 10 part series I want to do talking about this stuff. So if you want to come on The Shit Is Real, let me know at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com what your GI issues are and how they impact your life, and I would love to have a chat with you and figure out how I can put together this brand new series. So put in the subject line, The Shit Is Real, to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com, and I would love to hear from you, because The Shit Is Real, and we should be talking about it. On the show today, I'm excited to bring you into the sphere of an up-and-coming disabled filmmaker who was just so passionate about everything we talked about. He is a cam, a cinematographer, a director, a filmmaker, really, really cool. His name is Cameron S. Mitchell, and he is the son of world-renowned disability scholars David T. Mitchell and Sharon L. Snyder, which if any of you have ever done disability studies work, you'll recognize those names, they're quite well known, and I was really, really excited to sit down with him and talk about his experience of being a neurodivergent and being disabled, and talk about basically what I loved in this interview, and you'll hear from right off the bat, this interview is very frenetic, really like pops and crackles the whole time, mainly because he's so excited to talk about disability film, and I love doing this with him. He was so chuffed to share some of the projects he's working on. We talk about one project that he just did for PBS, which was a short doc about a woman named Elsa who's deafblind, who is a fencer, and who is working to combat ableism, but also we talk about a a documentary that he's working on that I think is so critically important and one that I had no idea about until we talked about it, a documentary that he's working on called Disposable Humanity, which talks about the medical genocide of disabled people in Germany around the time of the Nazis and all this stuff, and it was really, really, really powerful to talk with him about that and how important it was. To document the. and hear from relatives of people who were disabled, who were. who were killed. And so we talk about a little bit about that. It it goes into some dark places. But most importantly, what I loved doing doing about this with Cameron was talking about just his passion, why we need to see more stories of disability film on the screen. We talk about some access needs to make film more accessible, things like, um, you know, things like, like seizure warnings, things like captions. We talk about what it's like for him also as a disabled filmmaker to make these films. One of the things that I really love that he said in this interview that I can't stop thinking about is he said, a couple times during the interview, he said, "This is disability is the water that I swim in. And we talked so much about how this is how, because his parents were disabled, he is disabled, his sister is disabled. Because he has been been raised on disability, this is how he sees the world. And so whenever he approaches a project as a filmmaker, he's like, why aren't we showing this perspective of disability? And that is very apparent in the way he talks about disability throughout this interview. It was so, so cool to sit down with him. And when we were done talking, we actually chatted for another hour after off the air because I was so impressed by his drive and vision and his like desire to put disability film front and center. And as, a, as an up-and-coming filmmaker who is disabled, he's really trying to do that. And I just am really excited to share this interview with you because... It's so cool to see somebody and to meet somebody so passionate about disability in film, and he is someone that I am so excited to have met and so excited to now introduce to you right here on Disability After Dark. Cameron S. Mitchell, hello.
0: Hi. Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Hey, really excited to have you on Disability After Dark. Thank you for, for being so flexible. The other day, you, we were going to do it, and then things got fucked up for me, and then you were like, oh, I was in the waiting room for half an hour, and so I'm glad we're finally here doing it. Thank you for being here today. Um, no,
0: not a problem. Thank, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that this podcast exists,
1: so. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's a, it's a labor of I sort of love, but also it's exhausting when you're the one person doing it. Yeah. But, but, I love it. it's it's I'm excited to have cool guests like you on today. Um, so Thanks. I'm not, I don't care remember how you found me or how we found each other. <clears throat> I think um, uh, someone in my Twitter
0: sphere verse, whatever you call that, uh, retweeted that you were looking for guests. Uh, and so I retweeted it, and I was like, hey, I should actually probably reach out to them as well.
1: oh nice. Uh, I love I love Twitter the Twitter for the weird connections that it brings to you.
0: Yeah, I, I you know I haven't used it until more recently, and uh, apparently uh, disability Twitter is a very active thing. I am learning about yeah. Uh, also, also screenwriting Twitter. Uh, so those are the two main things I have Twitter for.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, screenwriting Twitter is. For some reason, I have screenwriting Twitter. I don't know how I got there. Or how... I guess I, <laughs> I got somehow linked to it, but it's it is pretty active and then disability twitter is all about disability rights and there's so much going on there too for sure but I'm so happy we connected and so you're a filmmaker a director a writer in disability film we're going to talk about that but so so I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do
0: yeah sure um so yeah uh I'm, yeah, as you've said, my name is Cameron Mitchell. I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I have uh, multiple disabilities um, that, you know, are very important to me in terms of how I think of the world and how I process things. Um, And and, and also, I have a very close interdependent relationship with my family who are all disabled as well. My mother, my father, and my sister. Um, Oh,
1: cool. It's a whole... It's a whole, like, disabled family unit. which Yeah. <laughs> is, like, that's so rare. Like, we usually, usually in family units, and most, most of what is portrayed is, like, one person has a disability, and, like, that's it. So, it's kind of cool that there's all of you that are experiencing disability at the same Definitely. time. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a big part of, that's why a big part of my work is about interdependence, which is. Uh, you know, basically, a, a, as, a, as a concept, is the, the idea that we all lean on each other. We all rely on each other in different ways to fill in for our different incapacities, capacities, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, from a very young age, that was—I was, uh, was kind—I didn't have a choice. That was just the water I swam in. Um, you know, my family. Uh, you know, my, my my parents are world-renowned uh, disability studies professors, actually. And so they they would constantly be traveling to conferences around the world, and we would have to negotiate and navigate uh, these spaces that weren't made for disabled people. Um, So, you know, one of my earliest memories uh, is being at a Jerry Lewis protest, actually. as maybe Like like a seven or eight year old kid um, in Chicago and, you know, being picked out. Uh, by the security guard to be antagonized amongst a a sea of wheelchairs. Uh, So, you know, like I have funny stories like that, just people, you know, making, choosing to make things difficult for you. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that always the way when it comes to disability, just choosing to make things difficult. Um, Yep. That's that should be a tagline somewhere Uh, (laughs) because it's kind of true. But you mentioned, that your parents are world-renowned world scholars. Can you tell me a little bit about them?
0: Sure. Yeah, David T. Mitchell and Sharon L. Snyder. Um, they have wow. Written... Hang
1: on, hold on. Wait. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say. Like, I recognize those names from being in college and reading their stuff everywhere.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, you can tell your parents, "Hello, I've read their. I read their stuff when I was doing disability studies work in college, like tenured, like." but I read their stuff all the time yeah I know who they are cool
0: what what did you read do you remember uh, anything in particular
1: I can't remember but I definitely remember like their names when I was doing my thesis and come coming up with theories about disability for my work and reading a bunch of scholarly stuff but I definitely remember those names
0: yeah um they I mean they have you know books, hundreds of articles, uh, films. So they've really like worked in the medium. And, you know, that was also what uh, made me want to be a filmmaker, Um, you know, is that they would take me with them while they were filming their, you know, kind of disability exposés um, uh, one film that you can see me in because they literally, they, they actually put me in a lot of their work, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, but they have this film, A World Without Bodies, which uh, won uh, a Moscow Film Festival uh, Disability Award there and you know, got a lot of international touring in the nineties. Um, and there's just like nine-year-old me uh, in front of a Nazi uh, death camp. <laughs> because that's what it's, that's, about. it's about, Action T4. But, you know, we're just taking a family trip to... Yeah, uh, just
1: to, like, to, <laughs> a super famous, super dark
0: place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so... Uh, and, and also, probably their most well-known piece, uh, or at least the one that gets the most circulation, uh, is Narrative Prosthesis. And they also write about me in Narrative Prosthesis and my love of the the Nutcracker. The, the story of the nutcracker uh, and so that becomes like a cuz the nut, the narrative prosthesis is this is this idea that you know dis, disability can is often operationalized and i'm i'm really heavily summarizing here but like you know in storytelling when we have a a story that leans on something like a nutcracker, the nutcracker's disability, for instance. Um, That's not like authentic disability uh, representation and portrayal. It's a plot piece or a a plot twist. Um, And so you can often tell, you know, if the details of the person that you're learning about aren't really specific to them, but more so just to their disability, uh, that's like their critique, uh, their
1: working critique of it. So yeah, it has to go deeper than just, Andrew has CP yeah he uses a wheelchair like yes <laughs> that's all you get to know about him yeah yeah no that I mean that's awesome I like I remember I, I and again I can't think of the specific articles but I remember being in college and reading both those names in like disability scholar work and like disability like I remember quoting them in like all my thesis work so that's small. It's, it's a small world it's a small, small world uh <laughs> that's really cool but that's Let's back up to you for a minute can you tell me about your disabilities and how they impact your day-to-day life
0: yeah definitely um so i have uh, uh something called uh, post-traumatic spondylosis which is uh you know it's as it sounds it's a uh, disability related to an, an accident or multiple accidents um and you know my theory is that it's a combination of me always being very physically active and always wanting to load bear and carry things uh like cameras for instance because i'm a cinematographer (laughs) so uh disability that's in part related to the industry that i love um and you know also just uh yeah there's just days where i might not be as flexible and so i have to spend several hours on the floor stretching um and just getting myself to like a neutral or you know close enough to neutral uh to to go out and you know operate a camera or to go on set um i also uh you know i i have neurodivergence um and that i i really like that the term neurodivergence uh l- lets us not talk about diagnosis in some way. so I'm going yeah. to kind of just leave it at that I have you know uh a very active but uh just dis- dis- disoriented distracting brain um which can be really great when you're trying to sit down and write a screenplay oh yeah uh, I'm sure <laughs> just takes you in all different directions or no directions at all um so
1: <laughs> does it make friends- it more creative to like write because of the nerd Yeah,
0: I I, I really, yeah, I like that you brought that up. I, I think it does because I'm always trying to mold break, you know, like the type of films that I admire or look up to are ones that don't follow, you know, a formula that they're able to break through. They might be multi-genre, you know, the cinematography is different, you know and it's integrated into the storytelling. And I think that's you know, one of the reasons why I was so drawn to cinematography too, is that it's kind of an open and experimental uh, visual format, right? And you might not have to express some of your ideas in, in, a, in a verbal way, uh, but you can just kind of interact and interpret the space, um, which you, know, you can see that in you know, I, my most recent work even. I just did a piece for PBS American Masters uh, called Elsa. About a deafblind fencer, uh, author, Hugo award-winning author. She's written for Marvel. She wrote Peggy Carter uh, for uh, Marvel. Wow, Marvel. that's cool. Yeah, um, and uh, it was just like this piece. It was we shot it over two days in Seattle. Um, I, I'm based in New York, and I, I flew out to Seattle to, to meet Elsa. And we just hung out for two days and kind of just interfaced and, and interacted. And this piece is the result very much of just like a conversation between us and an interaction. And I, I love that. I just love that film can create something from just being in sharing a space with somebody else. And, you know, I think our disability experiences very much led to a much deeper uh, interaction uh, because of it you know, yeah. even you know, I'm I'm not deafblind, but you know, we we both have uh you know, Alice also has a book called Being Seen, uh, One Deafblind's Woman uh, Woman's Fight to End Ableism. Um and it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, if you're looking for material to read about film and disability. Um, and so yeah, it was just us kind of like Hanging out and you know shooting the shit about uh you know disability representation in film, but also her life too, which is incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I mean
1: I, I saw the trailer for that last night when I was doing some like pre work for for the interview today, and I I was like oh wow this trailer like she's an intense person. I mean that in the best possible way. Like the trailer.
0: So so I'm just gonna stop you for so there there's no trailer. It's uh there's a there's it's a documentary short subject. So it's okay. A, it's, Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, then I apologize. So the whole thing I watched.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, because PBS uh, American Masters they they release uh, you know uh, short doc short uh, stuff and you know actually I think the most recent one they released uh, about Duke uh, the uh, uh, famous surfer and swimmer who broke the swim record. I think that's only like three or four minutes or something like that. But you get so much information you know, because it's PBS and yeah, you know, yeah. they they give you that liberty to just go for it in a, in a short amount of time too, right? So it's like, it's a way that we can get representation out there and we can get information out there, um, you know, in in, in, in in into people's lives and in, into our, you know, busy moving days. Um, so I was really excited for that opportunity and that PBS came in and supported it on such a massive scale.
1: Yeah, like yeah. PBS too, to put disability stuff in front of people, like... It's rare that it happens in a wide scale like that, so that it, that's really cool. Think- yeah. So, and
0: I sorry, I, just on that point, because you're raising so many good points. Uh, FWD Doc is the group that's responsible for making this connection with PBS, and it's a uh, Forward Doc or FWD Doc. Um, and there's there's a Facebook group for this uh, group with over 500 disabled filmmakers in it. Um, so if you're listening to this and you have a disability, you might be interested in in making film or you've made film before. Um, I highly recommend joining this group or you're just interested in advocacy uh, for disability in the film industry in in uh, you know any format of representation, because we all know, you know, you know whether it's poetry or you know novels or or film, it all matters, right? Um, so I highly recommend yeah. joining that that group. Um, and Amanda Upson and Daydina Almahamed are two of the founders. Jim Lebrecht also is a founder, and he was the director of Crip Camp. Um, so it's just a very, uh, you know, well-involved group. Uh, Variety, I think, just posted uh, an a, a, a press release of that forward doc release, calling out UCLA's diversity report assessment. Um, Because it didn't include disability. So they're always at the forefront of, you know, kind of demanding access and inclusion, uh, and that organizations think about and and include disability.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's really cool. And I, 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 I didn't realize that what I was watching yesterday was the whole thing. Um, so, but it's all
0: right. You're not the first to say that. People want more. I think that's society. You know, it's like yeah, you're I, like oh, I, when's I, the what's the feature like coming out? Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I watched it yesterday, and I I definitely wanted more. I was like, I want to. Where's this, like the 33 minute, 35 minute, 40 minute version of this? Um, but no, I think it's or so, the hour and a half or two. Yeah, hours. yeah. Yeah, it was was like epic version of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, So one of the things that I wanted to talk about today with you was, so we've we've talked about how you're a disabled filmmaker. We've talked about how you're the son of disability studies world-renowned scholars. Um, And so you make, obviously you make films about disabled people as part of your career. So I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into that. Why do you think disability film is so important to you as a disabled person? And why, like, we know these stories need to be told, but why do you want to be one to help tell them?
0: It's a great question. Um, Why is disability film important? I I mean, I think, you know, most obviously film is a a medium that lets us into, you know, the shoes of other lives, uh, so to speak. Um, And so, you know, from a very young age, I I gravitated towards that I wanted to give authentic representations of things I wasn't seeing on screen, frankly, Uh, and you know, my first short film the co op. Uh, I did that for the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge, which I also want to talk about here. If we're looking for disability film resources, Easter Seals, they're like the only ones doing this. And and, and there's, by the way, you're going to hear this a lot. Uh, in my life, there's like things I'm involved with, and they're the only ones doing this certain type of thing, um, like Slam Dance, for instance, is the only major film. I'm a I'm a programmer and juror for a Slam Dance Film Festival, and they're the only major film festival that has a disability uh, uh, film category. Um, wow, but. Easter Seals back to uh, you know that point. Um, they are the only uh, film challenge I've seen that specifically asked for disability content um, and that was just such a wonderful start to my kind of uh, you know I, I made some films like I made a, a doc when I was in high school about my sister. Um, you know, and I, ma- I made some films about disability. I also traveled to India and I, I made a doc about NGOs working in the space uh, with disabled people in India and so- in Bangalore, um, you know, but uh, Easter Seals gave me a chance to do something narrative. Uh, and so it was it was a bit different to kind of stretch myself out and think more creatively and not just, you know, uh, well, not just, but. You know in a documentary space uh with disability um and and also that somebody was interested in seeing these stories right because there aren't many challenges competitions whatever that ask for this type of conduct there should be a lot more yeah right um but so that that just was really important i think to see that and that you know that was back in 2017 and you know it took place in the course of 72 hours and you know hold on you
1: made that whole film you made that whole thing in three days yeah wow yeah i mean i I watch again No, correct me if i'm wrong when i say this that what i watched for that was the trailer right there's more to it
0: uh well i don't know because there is actually a trailer for that one (laughs) but uh it's about a six minute uh short film
1: yeah i saw about a minute and a half okay
0: yeah you probably didn't did see the trailer for that one <laughs> can confirm um but yeah so it's uh we we i i had the whole thing down to a science i was sending uh, media directly from set to my editor who was at home editing while we were shooting um know be uh, i I, i'm a control freak as a filmmaker obviously who isn't um and so i needed every facet of that like on point because it's only 72 hours um and yeah we we had you know an ambitious script i would say it's about a, a robbery of a grocery store with um seven people involved inside that grocery store um and you know it's, yeah, the whole, there, there's a lot of stories I, I, I can tell about that. Um, but just to get back to your question, I, I why I do, why why I think I'm somebody who can tell disability film stories is because I have deep experience with it. You know, I, as we talked about, you know, I've been raised on it. I've been raised on the subject matter. My, my experience is firsthand with my family, and also quite literally, like, my thinking is influenced by it. I think about the world in very uh, macro kind of disability lenses, um, you know, and I, I, I say that's probably influenced from my, my parents, you know, um, and it's just it's what it's how my brain works, you know, I so that if, when you, if you ask me why it's hard to actually for me to say, because it's just like it I, I know so nothing weird. else. Yeah. I know, yeah.
1: And I mean, I think that's, I think, I think we need more people who, who are raised on disability like you were and raised on all these ideas and wanting to see it because it's all you've known. And from like, it's rare because most people would say, I've never experienced disability before. But you're on the other side of that thing. Well, that's all I know. Why the, why, why the hell are we seeing this on, on our screens, on our, in our movies? Like, why isn't it something we talk about every day? So I, I totally, can see why like that's part of it for you and I think that what you're doing is just we need more people like you doing what, what what's being put out there because we don't have that right now and so I think you you know just from talking to you these, these last like 20 minutes I'm like how what is the next thing you're doing how can we like how do we support you we just need seen more of this I think the passion you have for it is evident just from talking with you like And we need people who are passionate about it because most people, when we think about disability media representation, we are still, disabled people are still an afterthought. They're still um, thrown in at the end to be like, ooh, look at us, we're being inclusive. Yeah, we added a person with a disability, look at us. But like, you know, we need filmmakers and creatives who start from the beginning with disability in mind.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I mean, you know, also, that kind of folds into, you know, how I would answer your last question in that, why do we need these films? What, you know, why do why focus on this? Like, why not just let it be a pro? uh, You know, because we have 26% of the population uh, that is disabled. Uh, You know, why not? Why? You know, that's such a prevalent amount, you know, wouldn't disability just appear because of that? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's been made very apparent. Um, you know, I think there's something like fifty seven Oscar nominations for somebody playing a person with a disability, and only two of those wins were for actual disabled people who had a uh, identified as having a disability. And by the way, that's my cat. Uh, I, I, I think that um, having, uh, people who identify as disabled is really important because it means that they're thinking about it, and also that they they're they're out, right? Like they're out there and they're identifying as disabled, and they want to talk about it, right? Yeah. Because you know a lot of the language we've seen in in film and in in film history has just been very pejorative and derogative <clears throat> to disabled people, and I think that's in part because you know people want to talk about it from the outside. They don't want proximity to it. Uh, you know, um, and, and you know, I'm, this is super controversial Cameron opinion alert, oh,
1: I'm ready, but, I'm ready. Uh,
0: <laughs> but you know, it, it's, it's something that we want to critique from a distance, but we don't want to be associated with. Right. Um, and so having people that actually want because they're out there. They're out there in droves. You know, like I said, yeah. we have, you know, Forward Doc, which has over 500 people with disabilities in it who are filmmakers. 26% of the population, uh, you know, has a disability. Like, there are people out there that hi- identify with it and associate with it and want to talk about it. And I think it's time that we start giving them the opportunities to actually make things and, and be, you know, like we see with CODA, right? Um, a big critique of CODA, it, it, there's a lot of great things that happened with CODA, um, you know, a, 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 a primarily disabled cast, three deaf actors playing three deaf dis, uh, in disabled characters. Those are those are huge strides. But it's honestly like, you know, how long have we been trying for this, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it's just so it's so late, you know, you um, know. And, and even now that we're still seeing, you know, diversity assessments that still don't include disability. Disability is often tagged on as an afterthought uh, yes. for access at film festivals, at, at at public events. It's like, oh, we have a ramp, or uh, it's like, you know, no. You, there there's so many multitudes of disability that you have to think about and represent. You need ASL. You need, op- you know, open captioning. You need you audio need description. attending care.
1: You need like <laughs> yes be like the stuff that people don't even think about and like to go back to film for a minute like i know one of the big critiques of coda was that we saw the story and i haven't watched it yet so i don't i I can't critique it too much but i read a lot of the critiques were that the film was from the gaze of a non-disabled character so like we had the we had disabled and deaf characters there, amazing but the story was still from the perspective of the one character that wasn't disabled. And yes. so like, that was, that's frustrating. That's And
0: that's where I was going with that is that there were no CODAs involved. It's a film called CODA um, and there are no c- CODAs involved in the writing process or in the consultation process. They didn't even consult a CODA. They had CODAs on set to interpret, you know, between the director and the actors, um, but that's that's not creative, that's yeah. not, uh, no, that's, that's not input. That's a
1: technical thing you have to do to make it go,
0: yeah, that's translation. Um, and I think, uh, Leonard Davis, my friend Leonard Davis, he said that it should be called de- a deaf family, not a uh, coda. Uh because <laughs> it's not because the, the film itself isn't about coda and, and, and it's a remake right it's a remake of a european film yeah. um and the way that they took it was like you know it was very clearly not in a coda direction um so yeah and then and also i haven't seen the film either by the way uh but i think that it's very telling when that that you know that the like a coda isn't involved. I already know what I'm getting into with a film when I hear that. You know, I know that it's it's not going to be from that perspective. It's not going to carry the depth uh, of that experience. Um, and so, you know, just going back to why we need more of this, it's like that's why because you know if th- we just had a film win the Oscar for for Best Picture that didn't have. That gravity, that context, that depth, uh, that latitude—whatever you want to call it—it uh, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't have it. And, and so the representation that we have is still very shallow in some ways. Even when, of course, when we're we're performing at the peak, right? We're yeah. breaking barriers. We're setting, you know, milestones. Of course, there there's still something that's withheld from us, right? So I mean, I guess it's exciting for filmmakers in that, you know uh it hasn't been done yet so hey you know all of our our, maybe uh, you'll do it maybe you'll be the one (laughs) or 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 just one of us you know it's like honestly man like if there was other people out there doing this I don't know if I would be making films because that's the drive for me is that I'm not seeing this stuff out there and so I I feel like I have to almost like I'm obligated to keep putting stuff out there until we get to a point where I, I feel like satisfied like I'm like ah, you know, uh, yeah, I said you
1: know.
0: yeah, well, well, no, that anybody has, right, right yeah. um, that, you know, you, you just, it's, it's the water you swim in, right, where it becomes that, you know, because it's a part of us, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we all know is out there, and so the representation levels just need to be brought up, like, to to match that. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, completely, and I, I couldn't agree more with that. I had a question about, Last year's Oscar, Oscars. We know that Crip Camp was up for best. It was it was up for best doc, right? And best so doc. It, so it lost out to my octopus teacher. And I know there was there was some outrage in the community when that happened. As somebody who is immersed in film, just as a sidebar, how did you feel when that happened? Um, you
0: know, <clears throat> I'm I, I'm gonna give a maybe an unsatisfactory <laughs> answer to this. <laughs> uh, for, from the disability community standpoint, because I actually think my octopus teacher was also a disability film, uh, <clears throat> oh, in wow. some ways, because, um, it's about our, uh, interspecies relation, right? It's, it's about a deep relationship with a, another creature, another, you know, a non-human. And I think that we can actually learn a lot uh, about those types of relationships and like, expands Kind of our understanding of the universe, right? Um, and, and you know, I, I've seen both films, and I think they're both great. Uh, um, you know, really great films. Um, so I wasn't so disappointed that it lost because I I, I also thought that my Octopus Teacher was a worthy uh, film that it that it deserved uh, an award. Um, I'm happy. I was just happy to see Jim LeBrecht Uh, on the red carpet in a Gucci suit you know that was a moment Uh, (laughs) for all of us to be like
1: wow you made it there like and because of the the pandemic like it feels like it was yesterday like it's it's so it was such an important thing for us to see as disabled people to see like a wheelchair user on the red carpet at the Oscars like it was such a big deal and it's something I think a lot of us will even though the film didn't win, we'll still cherish those moments of seeing that and seeing that representation.
0: Yeah, and then here's the thing, you know, once once uh, you know you start seeing wheelchairs on the red carpet, you know what comes next. You need to have ramps on stage for the acceptance yeah. speeches, right? Right, uh, and that's been a big uh, picking point for Jim as well. Uh, which I mean, obviously, rightfully, obviously should be. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because uh, you're, what are you just telling me that you don't expect me to win if there's no ramp there? Basically, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, I, I,
1: I was in an award show a couple years ago, and I was invited to LA for the for this podcast. Actually, was nominated for an award, and so I was invited to LA to go to this big queer party. That the show was nominated with a bunch of people, and I was invited, so I went to this big party, and like all these queer people were there, and all these podcasters were there. And I rolled in and I looked at the stage and I went, Well, I didn't win. And my, my, my mom went, Why? And I was like, Well, because there's no there's no ramp up there. So I definitely didn't win this award. So oh. like, yeah, it definitely <clears throat> it definitely makes like we should have ramps to the stage, even if the person didn't win. Because <laughs> what if like, you know, the
0: possibility is enough. Yeah.
1: Right? Like, or what if like, you know, the person a presenter is disabled and needs to get up there. Or like, what if, I don't know, we just need to have ramps on stage for all the wardrobes. That's what I feel, how I feel about that. Um, yeah.
0: And um, it's funny, cause I was just at Real Abilities Film Festival. And, you know, if you haven't been or participated, I highly recommend it because they are, you know, uh, a model for other film festivals and award ceremonies in terms of how access is done. how inclusion is done um but we were talking about uh um seizure warnings in films and you know an epileptic woman in the audience brought up a very good point there should be time code when there are uh you know the seizure warnings ahead of a film that says there are there are flashing lights uh you might not want to watch this or i don't don't know exactly what it says but basically the effect the effect of what it says is if you are epileptic, or if you are seizure prone, or, you know, a child, um, you shouldn't watch this film, because we're not giving you any information about what's inside the film and where it occurs. So hey, you might have a seizure at some point. uh, And we don't know uh, when that is, because that's the effect of what that warning is, really. So it's really just chasing people away, um, you know, from the the film, you know, yeah. and this is nothing new to disabled people. We're you know we we're used to seeing those signs that are like you're not welcome here. Uh, but it's like you know, uh, I, th- I thought that was a good thought exercise for somebody who was like you know that's inclusive. They mentioned uh, ap- epileptic people. It's like no, it's a it's actually a warning sign to that you should run away.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? telling me that I don't belong here. And I yeah, I, I like totally agree that there should be time codes. And I never thought about that as an access need until right this very second. Like, yeah, there totally should be because (laughs) just putting a warning and saying that like, you might have a seizure. You don't know what the seizure will do to them. You don't know if we're talking a small seizure or a grand mal seizure. Like, we don't know how it's going to affect them before and after and during. Like, they're definitely, I totally agree with you and I'm going to champion that now because there should be, you're totally right. And yeah. Woman, and I mean, totally right. you know,
0: and like, you know, I'm a cinematographer too. So for filmmakers that, you know, might be listening to this, you know, I, I also understand that we don't want a lot of overlays on our stuff. We want the we, like subtitles are even problematic uh, for cinematographers sometimes because we we don't like our, the frame being taken up by, uh, you know, other uh, competing imagery um but what i will say is it's just as easy to make a contained separate version you know that that it has this warning like say you know a cinematographer might say you can't give time code for when uh you know the the, the flashing lights will occur because that gives you uh yeah, it gives plot information away you know i could s- you see somebody making that argument and yeah. so but like just if you look at um, if you the the Elsa piece that you know for PBS that I did, they they released uh, an all inclusive, fully inclusive, accessible version that is its own contained version. And you know what's really interesting? The this ASL um, audio description version, and they also have an expanded captioning, open captioning version, is has more views than the quote unquote normie. Version. Oh wow! Um, It's got nearly. Last I checked, nearly (laughs) nearly double the views. So you know, for uh, for the talking point that you know people are always saying, like, you're there's a trillion dollar market out there for people with disabilities that you're not appealing to. Uh, My my film has already been viewed twice as much by the disabled community as it has anybody else. Which tell you
1: that like that like we don't need like there shouldn't be a distinction between normal film and disability film like why isn't there cl- why isn't there open captioning in theaters why isn't like mm-hmm. de- like when i watch a tv show i put captions on my on the tv and i am not a deaf or hard of hearing person but i have processing shit and it makes it easier for me to like focus so like why isn't this a part of a part of just the filmmaking process and so like i think the fact that we have distinctions between like versions of film feels unnecessary. Why do we, why can't it all be one? Mm-hmm.
0: I, I mean, it's also a good point. Having burned in captions is actually like one of the only ways as a filmmaker that you can be certain that your film isn't going to get messed up in the the DCP uh, process for a film festival. Um, it, Cause It happens uh, when you leave that up to other people. And uh, here's the thing, I think directors need to understand more that this is a part of the experience, um, just as much as any other facet, sound design, you know, screenwriting, uh, you know, everything, lighting. Um, If you're gonna leave that to somebody else, you're leaving that up to anyone's interpretation and, and or lack thereof, you know? Um, so, you know, a big thing for indie filmmakers that I encourage is audio describing your own film. Give it a try because you actually have insights about the film that nobody else has. That makes your audio description that much more interesting because you're the one giving it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I never thought about that again until right until you said it right now that it that should be the way. And when you do when you give something like that over, to someone else, you're diminishing the accessibility of the film. Like, wow!
0: And also, just the, the vision for the film. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: And the narrative that you that the person making it wanted to give is changing when you hand it over hand that part over to someone else. Um,
0: and it's also a missed opportunity because, like, I know artists love interacting with, or a lot, I do, and I know a lot of other artists like talking about their art, right? Uh, An audio description is another way that you can add layers and depth to your piece, and you get to talk about your art in a in a further way that that expands and adds to the experience.
1: Yeah, in a in a in a deeper way than I think we we were used to. And I think that yeah, I I completely agree with everything you just said. It it adds something to it that we that we need to understand. Um, really what the person creating the film wanted to say in, in, in their fullest form um so I wanted to shift a little bit I know you mentioned that you want to see different kinds of films in that, in that talk about disability and different kinds of genre of film that include disability what kind of films do you want to see in the disability genre that you that we haven't seen yet
0: well, um, for one, and this ties into the other part of your last question that I didn't answer yet, which is uh, how do how do we support you know what I'm working on next? Um, you know, I have a feature-length documentary film called Disposable Humanity, which is about the Action T4 program, which is a secret Nazi killing program that resulted in the medical genocide of over 300,000 disabled people. And I think that this is culturally important to disabled people. And so that's one thing that, you know, I'm working on because I, we don't, where is this? I don't know of, I don't know, you know, I haven't heard of anybody, you know, making a a film about this other than, by the way, my, my, my folks, uh, the, the, that film I mentioned earlier, uh, World Without Bodies, they made, you know, a, um, like a, a 30 minute doc about our experience, uh, discovering this for the first time in Germany, and yeah. going to <clears throat> one of these six killing centers. It's just incredibly important. It's like what the Holocaust is for Jewish people. You know, it's like, we need to identify with this and recognize it. Um, and, and And to bring it up, because, you know, it's, it's never been more relevant than now when we have medical triage happening and people, disabled people are dying from COVID. Um, also disabled people, uh, it's been reported that they're getting left behind in Ukraine, you know, um, it's a wartime atrocities that affect disabled people. It's, it's a part, uh, unfortunately for better, you know, for better or for worse, it's a part of the history, you know, and it's a part of, the, the cultural experience of being disabled, right, is being neglected by the government and, and by medicine. Um, and also not only being neglected, but being targeted. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm working on. Um, if you want to know more information about that, uh, disposablehumanity.com is the website for it. Uh, we're currently in post-production. and um, We're looking for finishing funds. Um, so if any, anyone out there knows of an angel investor or, or, or a company or a organization that wants to help get this film to the finish line. Um, it's, it's already been shown in limited, very limited formats uh, around the world at uh, major universities. It's, it was showed in, shown in Taiwan, uh, Marseille, France at the International Conference of Genocide Scholars. Um, it was shown in Delhi, India at uh, University of Delhi. Um, at University of Virginia, University of Michigan. So it's it's heavily vetted by academics. Uh, um, The senior historian at the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum called it incredibly historically accurate. And that's, you know, the thing that she loves the most about it. Um, So, yeah, we're just trying to get to the finish line on that. It's been Oh man, um, I'm gonna date myself here. It's been eight years uh, since wow. the initial inception of the idea in my head that I had as I was graduating college. It's like, I wanna make a feature length expansion on the film that my parents made uh, about this topic. And we did the principal photography in 2017, we spent three months in Germany filming it. At all of the original sites where it occurred, because they're all still pristinely preserved. And not only preserved, but a lot of them have gone back to being active psychiatric institutions. Um, That's
1: so <laughs> fucking terrifying. But,
0: uh, yeah. I don't, wow. Wow.
1: Um, as a neurodivergent person filming that and being there and doing that, like, how did you feel? Like, was it hard for you to do that? It, it was. It was hard, it, it was pain,
0: the, the probably the most painful thing for me though was not being allowed to film the disabled people who are a part of these institutions because obviously the institutions are very aware of, of this dichotomy that we've got going on of this uh, you know, kind of uh, hypocritical, uh, <laughs> uh, it just uh, juxtaposition, you know? Um, yeah. And we even, uh, you know, we interview the directors of all of the the six T four centers. And by the way, there's there's six killing centers, but there's thousands of transfer institutions. Because what the Nazis would do is they would transfer people enough time so that their family would lose track of them. Because there there were families that were still were wanted to find uh, their loved ones even after they were institutionalized. Um, and so. You know, but we went to the six main centers because that's a lot of where a lot of the history is. And at one of the six centers, one of the directors uh, said that if you were to shut down every site where um, T4 occurred, where people were murdered, um, you would have to shut down the entire German psychiatric system. That's that's how prevalent it was. And how 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 far the T four dragnet expanded, not just in Germany, by the way, in Poland, in Austria, in Italy, um, it, it, it was a, a widespread event, and it resulted in the training of staff and the technology necessary to implement the Holocaust. We wouldn't have, um, you know, the crematoria ovens, the Tolfen zona ovens that were used at major death camps like Treblinka um, or even concentration camps like Mauthausen um, without the T4 program so it's a really integral piece of history that we're
1: missing from our
0: understanding
1: it I mean I want to see it now as painful as it was to even listen to the to this description like it's important that we that we recognize that disabled people were murdered then by the Nazis and we like we hear about it very briefly in blips in history books, like, and more so now with disability scholarship talking about it a little bit more. But I agree with you, there's no, there's not been a feature length discussion about this or a film about this, these atrocities that we went through. And I think that you're, the fact that you're putting, you put this together is commendable, also exhausting, also like painful, but necessary. And like, thank you for doing it because I think. We need to, non-disabled people and disabled people alike, we need to look at this, the cold hard truth of what happened, and be like, oh fuck, we like some of this eugenicist idea, we're still putting in practice today. Like in Canada recently, we've expanded the Bill C7, which is the Medical Ac- Medical Assistance in Dying Bill, which means that if you are, you are, um. Terminally ill and you wanted to end your life, you can get doctors to sign, to sign letters saying they agree to help you die. But what they're doing is they're now allowing people with with non-degenerative illnesses or non-degenerative disabilities to apply for this program when they're and they're not offering them things they need to live, like better social supports, better care, better access to like different disability needs instead of offering them that first they're saying, well, do you want to just apply for this program? And it's like, well, that's, so we're basically, you know, it's not the same, but the principle and the idea is the same. It's like, let's get rid of disabled people.
0: Yeah. And this conversation is also alive and thriving in Germany as well. And, uh, and in the United States and I, you know, um, just one more historical point about T4 and eugenics is that eugenics was worldwide, you know, it didn't and it didn't start in Germany. The Nazis actually got the idea, so to speak, from the Americans because the Americans were doing it so well. We had boards, euthanasia boards, basically, I mean, we we did everything short of euthanasia. It was sterilization, you know, um, which is still and-
1: happening in 2022 today, yeah.
0: everywhere. And better baby contests, you know, um, fairs, like state fairs, you go to a state fair and there'd be a better baby contest so that you could judge the genes of different babies and, you know, a, a, you know award the, the most worthy uh, baby, uh, you know. Um, so it's an idea that's still here. And, I, you know, one of the things in the film that uh, is the probably one of the most pr- pr- uh, prevalent themes is that it's gen- you don't get somebody approaching this till the third or fourth generation, because that's how much stigma is present. The names of disabled victims are still censored. They're the only names of victims that are censored. Um, and uh, Kenny Freeze, my friend Kenny Freeze uh says there's a you know there's an old Jewish proverb, you die twice, once when you die, and and once when your name is forgotten. And so I, you know, I think more than ever, it's we, you know, the just awareness needs to be brought about this. So I appreciate you having me on your podcast and being willing to talk about these deep, dark and painful historical uh moments because, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had.
1: I mean, if you need some other eyes on the film, like, (laughs) let me know where I can, how I can be a part of that because it's painful, but I'm also, I'm I'm a Jewish disabled person. So like, it's doubly, it's doubly painful for me to know that some of the strands of what they were doing then still are talked about now when we talk about disabled bodies and particularly disabled racialized bodies. Um, it can be. It's 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 a it's a hard conversation even to have on the show, but also I think what you're putting out there is just it's necessary. But I want to shift to a little bit of a, a lighter version of that because <laughs> it was really we got really happy there for a minute. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a downer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back to the like a lighter version of that question. What other um, kind of films do you want to see disability in that we don't see?
0: Yeah. Um, I want to see science fiction films uh, with with disabled people as the protagonists, not just uh, you know a side character, uh, supporting role. I want to see them at carrying a, a, a science fiction future. Um, and you know, people say, "Oh, well, we have Daredevil." Uh, you know, Daredevil is you know again. Uh, we could have. Deeper, better interpretations of disability in the genre world. And,
1: um, and the know, guy I who wanted... played Daredevil wasn't even blind, wasn't he? He, wasn't, yeah. he was cribbing up, right? He wasn't even.
0: Right. Uh, and hey, you know, uh, also Morbius. Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of the commentary. Oh, coming up. I mean, I had.
1: Yeah, no, I commented on the commentary coming out of that film. Like, <laughs> wow. I said, I wrote an open tweet to Jared Letta where I was like, yo, you're. Cripping up, and you really should, you really need to stop doing it. Like, I, it's, I mean, so many problems. Like, his whole thing about being a method actor and wanting to stay in the wheelchair, even when the cameras weren't on, and wanting people to like take care of him so he could get into the role. I was like, fuck you, that's inappropriate. And what are you, like, what are you doing? I mean, yeah.
0: I really liked uh, Robert Pattinson's commentary on it, where he said that the only time that you see someone method acting is when they're being an asshole.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: I thought that that was good uh, actorly insight, as well as good disability insight um,
1: yeah.
0: in, in this case. Um, because, yeah, it's like you don't hear stories of like Daniel Day-Lewis method acting uh and being nice to his kids or or something you know yeah, it's like yeah. oh no he's texting you as Abraham Lincoln and it's really weird and hard to interact with them right <laughs> uh so yeah um I, that's a the the whole yeah because I the quotes have been like he wanted to be or the, the director says that Jared Leto came basically came fully disabled oh. and uh w- w- went Fully disabled, and it's like, come on, guys. Have we seen Tropic Thunder? Did we learn nothing? Anything from that movie? Also, like, you know, the the use of the R word is objectionable, but the lesson is the same. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And like, you know, we praised Jared Leto when he played a trans woman in in Dallas Buyers Club. Like, we we have so far to come, and so like, I just wrote an open tweet that was like, "Fuck you, Jared Leto, for what you're like." This is not method, this is you being a prick, basically, and using, you know, using your privilege to get into character as a disabled person, and like, ew, I just, it makes me, I'll never watch, I'll never watch the film in full, because it makes, knowing the backstory, it's like, okay, no, no, I can't.
0: And I and I could have told you from seeing the trailer that it was, you know, it's like I think, you know, in the trailer it's it it just shows uh how his science cripples him and, and it's like, I'm already out on this, you yeah, know. Like, you know. <laughs> I mean, like me, we, we haven't talked about that, but disability bandwidth is very much a thing with films. Like the fact that neither of us have seen Coda, you know, or or Morbius. Like sometimes we will avoid things because we know the headaches that it's going to yeah, induce. Like, right? I'm never gonna watch.
1: I'm <laughs> never gonna watch Cia's film about about the autistic person with Maddie Ziegler. I'm never gonna watch that because just the commentary that came out of that, I was like. I'll never be able to look at it objectively. I'll never be able to critique it without being like, this is fucking wrong. I'll never, ever be able to watch that film. Um, to go back to my the larger question, one of the things that I would love to see, it's like a broad, silly, 90-minute rom-com with like a disabled lead character. And it doesn't have to be a big, deep, philosophical, like disability, heart-wrenching film like they like to give us but I want to see like a notebook-esque or like, you know, so-and-so falls in love with so-and-so and and they happen to be both wheelchair users or like, you know, something really broad and silly and light and fluffy that isn't intense.
0: And and I can't think of one film that, that exists that I've heard of or seen that does that. And so I think it's like an incredibly pressing need because all of the representations we're looking at are sad and heavy and And uh dark and and, yeah dark like million dollar baby just like you know uh uh, like uh, who would want to live this life and it's like why we need the opposite
1: (laughs) or like you (laughs) know you know that movie with samuel l jackson where he was the was it glass or broken or would it, what glass yeah yeah and, and that
0: was so disappointing because uh unbreakable was i thought a good disability film in in some ways the original film of that trilogy um it, even though it's sad it's it's about a comic a, a disabled comic book collector um and of course if you let that series go on it reveals itself as not being a very good uh disability uh piece but yeah
1: I mean I want to see a disabled Star Trek like a fully I'm a a huge Star Trek nerd because I just am and so I'd love to see like a whole cast full of differently disabled people with different types of disabilities like on the Starship I just think that that would be so cool
0: yeah that would be fire like um what's would, the sh- what, the orville like a, a di- like a dis- disability version of the orville would yeah
1: be great. like hilarious yeah like playing with that kind of stuff would be awesome um what kind you know as a neurodivergent filmmaker and cinematographer and director what kind of um what is your experience wait let me try this question again <laughs> what what are some of the challenges you face being a neurodivergent and disabled director um, that we might not think about? Um, I mean,
0: yeah, I have to think. That's a good question because um, it's like I have to think about what would people not think about. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, just the, I think the perspective is something that people don't realize, and this always confused me because it was so a part of me growing up, but like looking at films and and like wanting them, like feeling it was going in a direction and then it just went in another direction. Right. And so I had a like a desire from like a very young age to to like to direct, basically to steer those things in the other direction. Um, Like uh, there's a movie X in theaters right now, which uh, had some interesting ideas. It's a horror movie. Um, It had some interesting ideas about like arousal and uh, playing with fear and arousal. But ultimately, like I, I I, don't want to give spoilers, uh, but there, there, it's I, I think this is in the synopsis. There's an older couple that it, it's about like a group of uh, porno filmmakers and they stay on the ranch of an older couple. And and then it ends up being like this super like ageist, uh, you know, uh, elderly fear uh, film. And it's just like, ah, oh, it, it could have been way better than that but yeah there's just it's the low-hanging fruit right like why do we always go for the low-hanging fruit why don't like you could have such a better film if you just didn't do that um so yeah I mean I frequently watch films and just have (laughs) (laughs) connexions.
1: you know you're like why the fuck didn't it didn't go in this direction that could have talked about disability or could have shown characters this way yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and so literally just like putting you or i in the director's seat even if it's not a film that's not about disability like disability sensibilities can be read everywhere and um like one of my uh friends robert McRuer, he says that his favorite time to read how are you friends
1: with all the people (laughs) first of all how the fuck are your parents the scholars that i read when i was in college and how are you friends with (laughs) Kenny Freeze and then friends. <laughs> How are you? Like all the people that I know that I yeah. like, that, like. It's again, it's a small fucking world.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like also the film world's small too, right? It's like well, you just run into all of, all of the best people. Um, but yeah, uh, Robert says his favorite time to read disability is when it's not supposed to be or where it's not uh, supposed to be read or um, just not seen. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah. I'm constantly like, even when I sit at a bar, like I'm, I'm just like sitting at a bar and I'm hearing, you know, all of these disability related conversations that have no idea that they're about disability in some way. And it's just ironic to me,
1: you know, like. <laughs> and I think the way your brain, the way your the way your brain works and the way you think about that constantly is such a boon for not just film and not just directing, but like disability creation and disability like it needs to be everywhere where it isn't supposed to be because guess what even if it's not supposed to be there it's there whether we're looking at it or not so I think that the way you think about this stuff is refreshing because you're so I can I can just tell from talking to you this past hour like you're so passionate about it that it and we need more passion around it that you have. So I commend you for that because it's Necessary and and again, really refreshing to hear somebody so like, why the fuck are we making films like this? Why the fuck are we talking about disability this way? And like the fact that you can watch a movie that has nothing to do with disability and get annoyed that it's somehow not in there or not talked about enough or in the right way is like you should also be, you should do be like a disability film critic to be like, hey, so let's talk about how you could have had a disability there. like. You should go to yeah. Variety and be like, can I write a review of Morbius and why it's being <laughs> shit? But then I have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But, um, it,
0: likewise, I mean, I, I've i just uh, like I said at the top of this show, like I'm excited that this podcast exists, like quite literally, because it's like you, you'd think it, it would, but oftentimes we see the the opposite you know and it's like also just to put disability in the title you know uh, oh yeah
1: I'm, I'm such a I'm so fierce about disability has to be there now the word access not some like side word that sort of talks about disability but doesn't actually mention it I hate it when people when people erase disability with words like accessibility I'm like they're not the same thing they're very different things and disability needs to be there which is why my podcast is called disability after dark because I'm like I want it to be front and fucking centers we have to look at it
0: yeah yeah your your advocacy and you know strength on that is just the that's the lifeblood you know for me um so yeah just really appreciate that
1: oh no thank you um I could sit and talk with you for like 90 more hours. I have one last question that I wrote down. We we can go off on like 10 more tangents. It's fine. I have the time. But I I, want to ask you, like, what is it? It's one of the things you mentioned in your questionnaire to me was like living in an interdependent family. And I wanted to ask you if you could, for yourself and for your experience, define what interdependence means to you and then tell me what it was like to live in a family with a bunch of different disabled people and how, like, what that means to you, and how that shaped your idea of interdependence.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I consider the greatest gift that my family uh, gave to me to be insight, um, and I see that as an interdependent experience, um, and it's, it's probably, to, to me, it's one of the most valuable things that one could give to someone else, right? Um, you know, there's, There's various, you know, as we talked about at the top of the show, like there's various annoyances. Uh, People make things hard intentionally, and then we have to navigate them. Uh, I can have a, I could give you a list of airlines. That are on my uh, do Every not airline, fly list. <laughs> Delta,
1: America, United, uh, yeah. <laughs> all of them, everywhere, yeah.
0: Air France. Uh, yeah. Even K-L-M. the ones that you thought were good at, at some point became bad. Uh, and also like non-airlines, like Disney World, <laughs> you oh, wow. know. Like places that had yeah. it at once and then just completely lost it, yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, just uh, care, like carrying my dad up the steps of the Parthenon, you know, like like the places that we're not supposed to be, that's, you know, and then just like being at the top of the Parthenon and looking a- around and, and, and feeling like who I'm with there, that's, that's, that's the entire world, you know, like th- that experience is the only experience I want to have, or it's the best experience because it's one that wasn't written into the books. It wasn't. It was one that wasn't necessarily intended or meant to be, um, and that. So that's really what I consider interdependence is making the in, like in, things that seem impossible possible, um, and sharing those experiences with the you know the people that you love most and that you care about most, whether that's your biological family or your chosen family you know, um or, or your roommate, somebody that you live with. Um, you know, it's that those moments are what matter most and like what inspire me most and, and inform me most. And um so yeah, I just have a lifetime of those experiences that I'm incredibly grateful for.
1: Um I have so many other questions about interdependence and like first of all, carrying your dad up the steps of the Parthenon, fucking cool. But- <laughs> It's <laughs> so awesome. Um, how do your, you know, being that you come from such a disability renowned ilk, how, do, how, do your, how does your family feel about you wading into all these like important like disability subjects as a filmmaker?
0: Um, I mean, they're incredibly proud, obviously, uh, as parents do, but, you know, it's also great to get feedback. I have some of the best feedback available to me at my fingertips (laughs) uh feedback that people would go to university for right just to just to receive so i I consider myself just so incredibly privileged honestly and just uh, very very lucky
1: i mean i want to bring you back on the show for us to like tear apart some bad disability representation i feel like i feel like we should do that one time yeah that'd be fun we should sit and watch like <laughs> Morbius or Coda together, and be like, "Here's why, <laughs> here's why, here's all the ways these films are problematic." Uh, it could be super fun because I do I do a series on the show called um, "Great Flicks and Joysticks," where I talk about disability film. Um, so it could be fun to do that together. I that could much, cool. It was so much fun sitting out with you. Is there anything that we missed that you want to like r- highlight before we're done today? I mean, um, you know. We, I, I I would just mention
0: that, you know, other than the documentary that I've got in post, I'm, I'm also actively writing and working on a lot of genre in science fiction, uh, disability-based ideas. Um, and like one of them, I have a 15 page pilot for right now, which really reads more like 30 pages because it's pretty dense is uh, called all is dust. And it's about a, a vagabond group of uh, you know, partially bionic disabled people who tr- uh, are uh, kind of like victims of the circumstance of this uh, post-apocalyptic world they're in uh, where everything's a wasteland uh, because a corporation uh, polluted the atmosphere uh, with particles to block the sun. Um, and the, this wasteland is so inhospitable to human life that you, if you're out in it too long, you forget where you're going, you forget yourself and who you are and what you're doing. And so they have these little transmission ear nodes that just constantly state their mission, the zone that they're in. Um, and, uh, they're all just, be, uh, gathered together just around the, uh, idea or thought to end this company, to go approach and address this company that. Is so big that nobody talks to it anymore. Um, and so that's, that's one de- idea that I'm uh, developing right now that I would really like
1: somebody to greenlight. Uh. I mean, I mean, have you watched Severance yet? Cause I mean, that, it's it yes. really, it says Ben Stiller. Like, do you need another project? <laughs> <'Cause> this could, <laughs> right. This could be hey, good for you. Hey, Ben Stiller. Yeah. Like Red Hour Productions. Let's see. This is a partnering. Yeah. But like, Same. you know,
0: I love that you brought up severance because I I think that it's such a timely and relevant addressal of workplace culture and how like we're just you know if we keep going down this route this hyper capitalist route of ability performance uh it's going to ruin us (laughs) you know it's going to result in severance because that's ultimately what it demands right yeah um such a good science fiction piece, although it doesn't read as science fiction that's it like presents as like a I mean work It sort of does. Uh,
1: I mean it by, by episode two, you're pretty sure you're in some science fiction stuff. And also right. like I never thought about it from from like a capitalist ability performance headspace until right now. And I want to watch go back and be like, oh, what are all the signs of disability that I missed that I wasn't looking for? <laughs>
0: yeah um yeah i mean there's uh there's just so much in there um
1: i mean that's what we should that's what, I, that's what i should <laughs> we should do like a rewatch of that show was, like that could be that could be fun we should definitely talk about that but seriously ben stiller or like you know some production company like get on this because i think i think the discussion of bionics and disability is one that we've been having forever like and I think we need Altered to... Altered
0: Carbon is a, a show of recent memory that I was really inspired by um, that I thought could have t- been taken so much further, uh, but it got canceled untimely yeah, yeah. Uh, in its second season.
1: <laughs> Isn't that the way? Thanks, Netflix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, again, I could sit with you for like another two hours and just have a conversation. It was so refreshing. And even though we went to some really dark spots in this one, I really appreciate what you do, and I, I want to champion what you do and, and get your name out there to the people. Um. So how can they follow you, and how can they support you?
0: Yeah. So my handle on Instagram uh, is CSM DOP. That's just my uh, name, Cameron S Mitchell, and then director of photography. The handle's a bit old. I'm doing more directing and writing now uh, than cinematography in part because of my disability. Cause it's just like, I can't keep a, a full-time career up where I'm camera operating and very physically involved. Um, but so CSM DOP, and then um, on uh, or, or sorry. So that's my Facebook handle. I, I fucked that up. Um, so Cameron S Mitchell is my Instagram. Uh, it's just my name. Um, and then anywhere else, I think on Twitter, it's CSM DOP. Um, so yeah, those are that's where you can follow me, and I'm on you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all the socials.
1: Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, and so Elsa's it's premiered, right? It's, yeah, it's
0: um, it, it premiered, Elsa premiered on the 30th of March, uh, and um, it is currently out, it's on PBS. Uh, American Masters homepage. Uh, for a while, it was the only thing on the page because it was her, it was just her image that filled the whole web page and that was oh, so, wow. cool. so for like cool. two weeks to go to this website and just see this like authentic like death woman uh in, with her she's uh in a fencing gear with yeah. a sword and she just like looks like she's coming at you and she's ready to fight you which is like that was probably one of the more exciting images that i was excited to compose for that um and she also made it her profile picture it was so i think i did awesome. a good job she yeah. felt represented and um, she actually, uh, she sent me one of her books and she signed it. Um, Thank you for seeing me and showing the world what you saw. And uh, that just like-
1: broke my, uh. It broke my heart hearing you say it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, again, I, I like, and we, <laughs> I probably should have ended this interview 10 minutes ago but I could talk to you forever about so many different <laughs> things. But um, I just really love what you're trying to do and what, you're, what, you're, what, you're, what you are doing to to disrupt the, the super narratives that erase us and what you're trying to talk about, and, and how much pa- I, well, my favorite part of this interview has been the passion you bring to this and how excited you are to talk about it. Like, it was very it was evident to me within two minutes or of our interview <laughs> that, like, all the questions would go off on 75 tangents, and I didn't care because I was like, he's passionate about this, and this is exciting to see somebody so like rile up about this stuff. In Manhattan so excited to bring it to the world and so I just think that I just commend you for what you're doing and I, I am so excited to follow your journey
0: I, and I am so excited to uh, come back on your podcast and tear apart some uh some disability film uh with you and yeah um, we
1: that we would definitely have like I, I'm just trying to think of ones I haven't watched yet that I'm like we could tear apart that one we could tear apart that one so many options um thank you so much for being here today and because i could talk to you for three more hours i'm going to cut the interview off because i could just keep <laughs> talking to you so thank you so much for being here today and we'll talk soon
0: yeah thanks for having me talk bye. soon bye
1: all right friends that's another episode of disability after dark from me your disabled daddy andrew gerza if you want to follow my work you can follow me on social media on instagram and twitter at andrew gerza underscore or you can follow my website www www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a Minnesota, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast, or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripplin Co. Productions at pod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.